0: Oh, God, I come before you again, standing in this sacred time, in this sacred place, about to to deliver your word that you gave to me to give to the people. Sometimes it just flows, and sometimes it's easy, and sometimes I get choked up, and it's And it comes out all jumbled or it comes out really rough. Lord, I just feel like it's one of those hard times. So I need the grace of your Holy Spirit. I depend upon your Holy Spirit to speak your word. Because, Lord, I I can't do this on my own. I, I mean, I might be able to teach a history class. I might be able to teach, you know, some sort of class, but... When it comes to teaching and preaching the Word of God in my human capacity, I'm going to screw it up. I can't do it. I've got to have your Holy Spirit leading and guiding me, especially when it comes to very dire, important matters in regards to the body of Messiah. So Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make the hearts and minds of the people receptive. It's one thing to understand it. It's one thing to say, yeah, I know, and it's another thing to live it out and to put it into practice. And that's the hard thing to do. Enable the people to put into practice what they're about to hear. Because spiritually speaking, it can be a life or death situation within the body of Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, First of all, I just want to say that I love you guys and I'm on your side. Sometimes being in a position of authority, it doesn't seem like the person in authority is on your side. Because sometimes they have to do by necessity and by the command of the word of God things that they really don't want to do. That's very uncomfortable for them to do. But necessary to be obedient to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God and you're like oh great he just said that he loves us he's gonna drop kick yeah. us tonight <laughs> he always prefaces those hard sermons with him loving us but it's true today today has been a Maccabean Sabbath and you're like what the heck is a Maccabean Sabbath well back in the time of the Maccabees the enemies would attack the Jewish people on Sabbath or on high holy days, which is just the same as a Sabbath and of course they wouldn't fight back Because it was pro- it was prohibited according to the law So one time this village got completely wiped out by the enemy and The Levitical priests which were the hasmoneans the Maccabees come along and they said look We're not doing this anymore new policy if they attack on Sabbath, we're gonna fight on Sabbath It's the principle that Yeshua said, if you have your ox in the ditch, wouldn't you take it out on the Sabbath? Because it's valuable to you. Not only is it a precious life, but it's part of your livelihood and income, and you need to rescue that, or you're going to put yourself in financial dire straits. So this has been a Maccabean Sabbath instead of being a restful Sabbath. This has been a get on your knees and fight like a man Sabbath, where from the time my feet hit the floor, My knees soon followed because my heart has been so heavy about things that have been going on in our circle and in our community Now I'm not saying that I'm disappointed and I'm not saying that I'm upset or mad or sad or anything like that Because when trouble strikes, it's not necessarily that we're doing something wrong When trouble strikes that's the enemy working to tear us down to turn us on each other so when the demonic activity and and stuff just gets ramped up it means satan's trying to stop something good that's just about to break through something good that's just about to happen and he can't stand people being free he can't stand people being joyful he can't stand the body of christ being unified he can't stand us loving each other and if we're doing that a little too much he's going to step in and he's going to stir the pot and he's going to try to break things up so much so, I've been hearing stupid, ridiculous rumors around Plaster Rock. Somebody come to me just the other day and said, well, did you hear? Harvest House is going to shut down. And I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, I heard it. I said, you need to check your sources because I'm very tightly connected with Harvest House. And if it's shutting down, I would know. Yeah, the village is going to shut it down. The village has no right to shut us down. They don't own this building. That's like them going to the farming and say, well, we're going to shut down the pharmacy. They can't do that. So I said, look, you got to check your sources. Don't believe everything that you hear. That's another indication that Satan's at work is when those rumors start flying. Now, this is going to be, this is not going to be a pocket knife message. This is going to be a chainsaw message. And what I mean by that, it's going to be rough. Like I could take a pocket knife and whittle out something really beautiful with a piece of wood. You know, a nice little giraffe or something like that. No, this is going to be like a chainsaw being taken to a log, and I'm making like a big eagle or a bear or something with my chainsaw. It's it's going to look like a bear, but it's going to be very rough cut because literally I sat here and wrote this sermon while you guys were doing the praise and worship. I had something totally different planned, and the Lord said, no, 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 no. you you know, we're, we're switching it up. I'm changing plans, so bear with me if I'm all over the place. Um. You know, I just wrote down my chicken scratch, and and so it's going to be hard to kind of go by my notes. But I want to start out by reading the lyrics of a song. There was a guy back in the, uh, I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, he simply went by the name Eli, and he had a song called Unqualified. And it, And so he would perform concerts on a regular basis, and he got really popular but really didn't last. But... The song Unqualified says every night I stand before you and Pleased to know that I'm so glad you came But who am I that you should treat me like a hero? I'm no Superman. I'm just another face Well, if I had it to do over I can say I wouldn't do the same Because through it all I've learned about God's forgiveness Well, I rejoice because I can turn to him and say I have stolen I have cheated I have lied I am prideful and unqualified I am broken when I realize it's God's grace it's God's grace that covers me Eli was a Christian musician and he realized he was unworthy to do what he was doing and that's why I said look I'm no Superman I'm no hero he says I've stolen I've cheated I've lied I'm prideful and unqualified One of the great, here's another musician, one of the greatest, uh, you know, contemporary artists and one of the greatest uh, praise and worship singers of modern time was Rich Mullins. And he was an active alcoholic. He loved God. He loved Yeshua with all his heart. His songs are some of the most raw and the most sincere. He fought against the the seedy underbelly of the Christian music system. Because he wanted to stay true to God and stay true to himself and not be changed. But every once in a while, he fell off the wagon and he fell hard. We're going to judge him for that. We're going to throw him under the bus for that. We're going to burn all his tapes because he was an alcoholic. We need to be really careful of how we view the the guy sitting next to you. We've got to be very careful how we view our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're not perfect every single one of us has a past we are not proud of I mean some of us know about our past but I'm sure there's a lot about our past that each other doesn't know about and we sure as heck wouldn't want it to be put up on the big screen for everybody to see not that we're trying to be deceptive not that, that we're trying to be secretive but it's just something we just don't want everybody to know because we're utterly ashamed of of what we did and who we are back then, and we're not that same person. Chris Shoemaker is dead. I crucified that guy. And the Chris Shoemaker you're seeing sitting here is not the same person I was way back when. And each and every one of you can say that. I'm going to be saying a lot of the same stuff that I've said in past messages. I'm going to be saying stuff that you've already heard before. But if I'm saying again, it means you need to hear it. It means you need a refresher course in what I said umpteen times. Now I'm going to pick on James. None of what I'm saying is true. I'm just using James as an example. Let's say I get up here. I'm an authoritative person. I'm in a person of power and authority, preaching and teaching the Word of God, You know, volunteering here at Harvest House and uh, you know, running the Root of Yeshua congregation as the pastor, as the rabbi. So If I say things it, it, it must carry weight because I've been educated. I'm in a leadership position So something I say you're gonna take seriously now. What if I would say, well, you know what? James is a murderer James killed somebody before you'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, you know And just by me saying that would cause you to look at James in a different light And let's just say that it is true that he killed somebody You don't know the circumstances of that situation. Maybe it is true that he murdered somebody. But what I left out, what I didn't say, is that it was in self-defense. Now that changes things, doesn't it? That changes the whole picture of James being a murderer. It was self-defense. But yet people hear and see things about other people and go out and blab it when they don't have the full story. And they're throwing their brother and sister in Christ under the bus and causing other people to look bad on them and as a result treat them differently. And when they start coming into this place, they know that they're being treated differently and they don't know what's been said. We've got to be very, very careful. The Word of God clearly says, By two or three witnesses, let everything be established. It can't be secondhand information. It can't be hearsay. It can't be he said, she said. It can't be, well, I heard it from Aaron or I heard it from Chris. It can't be any of that. By two or three eyewitnesses, let everything be established. The Torah also says, and and like I said, I just sat down here and just wrote these notes out really quickly, so I didn't have the time to look up the citation of the passages. But in the law, it says when you're investigating a matter, you are to search diligently. You are to make a thorough investigation Make sure you have all of your facts before you even open your mouth and even some cases you don't open your mouth Even after you have the facts Because somebody's life somebody's reputation hangs in the balance you can destroy somebody's life by a careless word, just because you want to pass along some juicy gossip, because you want to be known as the person that's in the know and knows the behind-the-scenes stuff, you can ruin somebody's life that way very, very easily. We've also got to remember that the proverb says that there's two sides to every story. The proverb says something like this, and I'm paraphrasing it, that you know one seems right until the other person comes and gives their testimony. I mean, whenever you're sitting there watching these uh, court TV shows and somebody's testimony, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I believe that guy. Then another person gets up and gives their testimony. You're like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, that changes things. Now I believe this guy. There's two sides to every coin. There's two sides to every story. We've got to have two or three witnesses to let everything be established. We've got to diligently seek out and diligently search. And we can't be spreading around unfounded unproven unfactual uh, False things because it can ruin somebody's life And if you ruin their reputation, you are guilty of murder and that's not self-defense Yeshua says if you hate somebody in your heart, you've murdered them And if you've said something falsely or a half truth or an incomplete story about another person, you've killed their reputation. Your tongue has been used as a sword to murder that person's character. We cannot have this in the body of Christ. We cannot have this at Harvest House. We cannot have this in Root of Yeshua congregation. Do you realize how Satan wants to use you against somebody else? Attacking from the outside from somewhere else is too obvious of a strategy that we would sniff out in a heartbeat and we'd nip it in the bud. But if it comes from among us, it's a little bit harder to detect and a little bit harder to discern because we're very good at disguising our gossip. We're very good at disguising our slander. I want to share with you something only because I'm concerned about this guy. Yeah, right. Shut up. You just want to tell a story, a juicy story. Oh, no, you don't understand, Brother Chris. We're going to pray for this guy. It's in the guise of a prayer request. Yes, it's in the guise of a prayer request. You're using a prayer request to spread gossip, something that's unfounded that hasn't been established by two or three witnesses, something that has not been thoroughly investigated, And something that hasn't even gone through the protocol of Matthew 18. Now we know, and I've, oh man, I've preached this probably, I can't even remember how many times. But Yeshua says if we have something against somebody else, or you can say if you've heard something about somebody else, you don't repeat it to anybody else but that person that it's about. In other words, you go to that person. If you have something to get somebody, you go directly to that person and you hash it out. If you've heard something about somebody that you don't know is true or not, you don't spread it around saying, I heard, I heard, I heard. You go to that person and say, is this true? This is what I heard about you. And before I say anything, I want to know. So if things can't be resolved with a one-on-one confrontation in love, Because peace and restoration is the ultimate goal of this exercise. Not to shun, not to condemn, not not to prove that they did something wrong so we can excommunicate them, but to restore them, to win over a brother. And if that doesn't work, it says take two or more with you. Not two or more that your close buddy-buddy that you've told the story to and they know everything about it. Two people that don't have a dog in the fight. Two people that are unbiased. Two people that can, that can look at this from the outside and not be in the thick of it. Can be objective about it. And you try to hash it out privately. You don't do your tit-for-tat battle on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, in texts. And if that doesn't work, Whatever authority you find yourself under, whether it's Harvest House, whether it's Root of Yeshua, whether it's another church, you take it to the leaders of that organization and it becomes their problem at that point to where they take these parties that are in opposition and try to work the issue out. And just because these these people in authoritative positions does not have a law degree, Or has judge so-and-so before their name or honorable so-and-so before their name, whatever the decision they make you have to live with Because the bible also says that the levites when there when there came cases that were too hard For the tribal leaders to to hash out and figure out They took it to a higher court They took it to the levites and whatever the levites ruled they had to live by whether they agreed with the decision or not Whether they agreed it was the right call or not, your opinion doesn't matter at that point. Because if they made the wrong decision, God's going to punish the judge. God's going to punish the Levite. A lot of people didn't like what King Saul did. David didn't even like what King Saul did. He was doing what was absolutely wrong. But David didn't say anything. He didn't do anything because he knew that that was God's job He knew it was God's anointed and he couldn't lift a hand or a finger against him that God was gonna take Saul out on his own To let that situation work out So if you don't agree With what pastor Chris says or what Aaron says or whatever tough noogies, you don't like it. Take your toys and go home And I'm not trying to be sassy and I'm not trying to be mean But those are the ones that God has anointed and put in authority over the people that are here right now. So if you hash things out, you've got to trust them that they're in tune enough with the Holy Spirit to make the right decision, whether you agree with what they decided or not. I know this is tough stuff and hard to swallow. But the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But guess what? Not everybody can do that. Because the second part of the greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor, let alone God? You got to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We all know the golden rule. That's in scripture also. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If there was a nasty, ugly rumor being spread about you, wouldn't you want your brothers and sisters to give you the benefit of the doubt instead of automatically say, oh, I can't believe that happened. Shame on them. And then you start treating them differently next time they walk in the doors for a Monday night meal or for a service because you heard, but you don't know for sure. And now you already think differently about those people. Shame on us shame on me i've done it before i'll readily admit that now here's two examples that i've given before too but they're worth repeating one is an extremely well-known talmudic example now people the way a lot of protestant preachers will preach they will act like that the pharisees were some bloodthirsty mob that that used the death penalty every chance they got but that is not true The Talmud says if there are two capital punishment executions within the lifetime of a high priest, that is a bloody Sanhedrin. That is a bloody court. There shouldn't have to be that many uh, executions within the lifetime of a ruling priest. So the Talmud tells the story of two men who walk into a building, but only one walks out and he's got blood all over his shirt and a bloody knife in his hand. People go in to investigate and find the other guy he walked in there dead. Stabbed. Well, open and shut case. It's obvious that that guy who walked out of the building did it. Obvious. There's blood all over his shirt. He's holding the murder weapon. He's got the knife. Yeah, he did it. Really? You're, you're that sure? Yes, it looks bad yes it looks that way but you weren't inside the building you didn't see it happen maybe he is guilty but because there were no witnesses maybe he'll get off and if so god's going to deal with that guy but maybe what happened is there was an open window or open door in that building and there was somebody already in there waiting and hiding ready to ambush these two guys when they walked in So maybe the guy that's got the blood all over his shirt and the knife in the hand didn't even kill the guy. Maybe he took the knife out and tried to save the guy's life and he ran out for help. It looks bad. But we don't know. So in that case, the Sanhedrin says, well, we don't know if he's guilty or not. We're going to have to let the guy go because there is no conclusive proof, no conclusive evidence. Because you don't know what happened. Looks bad, looks like an open and shut case, but that is not always so. Looks can be deceiving. We've got to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And even if we are guilty of something, we need to show and extend love, compassion, and forgiveness. Love, compassion, and forgiveness doesn't mean that you overlook the sin, that you overlook the wrong. It just means that you do not react in a fleshly way to it. Now, we have people that have come from backgrounds of addiction. And we have people that we know and we love that tend to fall off the wagon every now and again. Are we hurt? Are we sad? Are we disappointed? Yes, of course. Do we want them to do better? Yes, of course. But do we just wash our hands of those individuals? No. Because I've never been addicted to alcohol. I've never been addicted to drugs. I don't know how hard it is. I don't understand. I have no right to judge in a situation or just to, just to throw somebody away because it's like, oh, they just can never change. I'm so sick and tired of dealing with them. We need to show the love and compassion that Yeshua did. He never, ever excused sin, ever. But he had mercy and compassion on the sinner while he despised and hated the sin. He could have gave the Pharisees what they wanted and said, yeah, go ahead and stone the hussy. She was caught in the act of adultery. All the witnesses are there. The Torah is correct. It's an open and shut case. Kill the woman. But no, he says, look, he said, though those of you who are without sin cast the first stone. You know why he said that? Because the eyewitnesses were the first ones that were to stone the person. Because they were there. They seen it. They were to, be, they were to have the hand in the execution. And so probably knowing that they're without sin, they were probably watching and enjoying that and probably entrap the lady. Well, did she do wrong? Yes. Was she sinned? Yes. Even if it was a setup, it was a sin on her part too. But Yeshua didn't stone her because he knew the Torah. He knew he wasn't a part of the Sanhedrin and didn't have the authority to call out a capital crime. He didn't sit on the Sanhedrin. Not only that, a death penalty under that time and place had to also be approved by the Roman government, which Israel was subject to at that time. They just, you know, like with Jesus, they just couldn't kill Jesus because they wanted to. They first had to condemn him, but their condemnation and death penalty had to be uh, okayed by Pilate, which they finally got. So Yeshua was no dummy. He said, woman, is there anybody here to accuse you? No. Well, neither I. Go and sin no more. We need to do that with each other. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you used to be If it weren't for God's grace you can still be that nasty dirty sleazy scummy crummy individual that's addicted that's a user that's an abuser That's a shyster. That's a cheat Another example and I've used this before too. Everybody who knows Mike chase knows that he used to be an alcoholic used to do drugs used to party all the time so let's say that somebody catches mike chase stumbling out of bar with another person that's a known alcoholic easy for our minds to jump to the conclusion oh he's fell off the wagon Uh, i mean he was a preacher he's got his license to preach he's a minister now look at him and then somebody starts spreading all over town that Mike Chase is a drunk. He's fallen from grace. Let's ban him and excommunicate him as a Christian, as a preacher, as a pastor. Let's start treating him like scum because he screwed up. But do you really know that he was drunk? Mike Chase is a short, stocky man. He was helping another guy twice his size out of a bar. And the weight of that guy caused him to stumble as he's helping this guy out to the car. Why was Mike there in the first place? Cuz the guy called him and said, "Mike, I'm drunk. I need a ride home. I screwed up. I messed up." Mike goes and gets him, walks him to the car. Circumstantial evidence would say Mike's drunk and fall off the wagon. It looks that way. It looks bad. But you don't know the story. Thoroughly investigate. Yeah. So there's not a he said, she said thing. So if you're that concerned, if you've seen that and they're that concerned that it looked that bad that Mike has fallen off the wagon and he's becoming drunk, instead of saying it to somebody else, go to him and say, I saw you stumble out of the bar last night. Were you drunk? Let him tell his side of the story. Never judge a book by its cover. Right. Never judge a book by its cover. It's like the old native saying, You need to walk a mile in another person's moccasins to really understand what they're going through. Proverbs tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can edify and build somebody up as quickly as we can tear them down with what we say. And we've got to be extremely, extremely careful about that. So false or unfounded, unconfirmed, uninformed accusations has ruined others' lives. I know a guy who had a past. He was a very jealous and controlling individual. But he had changed. he became a believer. And yet he was with a girl that was just as messed up as he used to be. She was addicted to drugs and she was in and out of relationships. And she accused this individual of abuse. Well, the guy's always guilty. We always got to believe the woman, right? That's exactly what happened. Nobody cared to investigate this incident. Nobody cared to check his side of the story. Everybody believed her. And as a result, they excommunicated and shunned this guy. Somebody's life could be ruined by something careless. We say thinking we're doing somebody a favor or warning somebody or helping somebody out or we're just saying it because we're concerned so we can pray for that person. And even to this day, this guy is still looked on as the bad guy because people didn't care to check stories and check witnesses. And there was actually somebody else there when said incident went down and that person said no he didn't do that he didn't do what she said people want to believe the girl so we all have pasts we're not proud of and don't want to be held to those standards that we used to be we don't want to be held to who we used to be because we claim that we're not that person anymore and if you're saved And you're regenerated and you're delivered and you're healed you are not that same person and doesn't it hurt your feelings when somebody holds you to the standards of who you used to be and don't believe that you're a different person and don't believe that you change you're like what do i have to do to prove to you that i'm not the same person it's frustrating and it's heartbreaking isn't it look family is messy Especially the the family of God. I mean, regular biological families are so dysfunctional, let alone the family of God. It's messy. But if you love somebody and you love each other, you love each other regardless of the mess, in spite of the mess, in the thick of the mess you will roll up your sleeves and you'll will be willing to get dirty and you're in dirt under your nails to help that person because you love them because you would want them to do the exact same thing for you you'd want them to do the same thing for you we're family family's messy and we need to treat each other like family and not like enemies i'll give you an example actually this is another example with mike chase in it again I was pre when he was pastoring the Lerwick Church out in Tilly. He invited me to speak and to preach. Now, I don't toe any denominational line. I preach the word of God. And I was preaching things in the word of God that this denomination didn't agree with. They were hearing they were hearing I was preaching heresy. They were he- they were hearing that I was preaching doctrine that was not consistent with Christendom. Did they call me to their little fancy party and question me about what I was saying behind the pulpit? No, guess who they called in? They called Mike Chase in to rake him over the coals. And then there were people that was that I there was even an individual who said I'm anathema. Because of what they heard I preached and what they assumed I believed by what they heard that I said. They basically excommunicated me and wrote me off as a heretic they didn't quit they didn't they didn't bother to question me but they questioned him and he says I can't speak for this man you call him in the Bible says to call him in, confront him because they're asking him all these questions about me and my beliefs and what I said he's like I can't speak on his behalf but I will say this I find no fault in my brother and he basically said, the, 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 the uh, meeting, they basically said, it's either us or him. He said, well, for sake of peace of the denomination, you know, he, I won't have him speak behind my pulpit anymore, but I, but I want to be put on the record to say, I find no fault, in my brother. Mike Chase took a bullet for me that day. How many of us would do the same for one another when we hear, some, somebody say something, right? <laughs> when we hear ridiculous stuff, like Aaron's dealing drugs out of Harvest House, and Chum is Tracy's pimp. <laughs> stupid, ridiculous stuff that has actually been said around town that we know is stupid, we know is not true. But people love a train wreck. The town wants to believe that stuff is true. But how many of us would come to each other's defense and say, "Don't you dare say that about my sister"? Don't you dare say that about my brother? Where is your proof? Amen. You're saying this? Come with me and let's go to that person and you accuse them to their face. You tell me what you're saying about them. I had a friend come to me and ask me about the house. Oh yeah, I get and it all the time. He heard this and heard that, and I told him what I, you know, and. I said, "So you've heard some things, right?" And he said, "That's exactly why I came to you because I wanted to hear the truth." Good. Well, at least he had the smarts to do that—to come to you to hear the truth because he knew you were connected. Now, the same thing has happened within Christianity, within like Christian music. (laughs) There was this uh, band called Lust Control, and they—they played their music with ski masks. They came from different bands but the reason they wore ski masks is because their whole band was focusing on singing about sexual sin. But one song was different than all the rest because at that time, Amy Grant was trying to reach, um, you know, the, the secular world with music. And so there's a lot of rumors flying because she was no longer singing El Shaddai, but she was singing baby, baby. Right. And they wrote a song saying, she's my sister and I'm her brother. And, you know, you better shut up or I'm going to bloody your nose. And uh, so they're basically like, you know, put down that stone. You don't know how to use it. You're, you're wanting to stone her because of what you think is true, which you don't know. You know, so it's like are, how many of us are coming to the defense of our brothers and sisters when you hear stuff about them? It's so easy to assume that it's true. Our fallen flesh loves drama and we want, in, in, in some morbid way, we want it to be true because it's juicy. And I'm saying all this because of all the stuff that's happened in recent days. And I guarantee you, there's gonna be more stuff that's gonna come out, and you're gonna be like, oh, what? And I'm just preparing you to try to respond in a mature way, a way according to the scriptures, not a way according to the flesh. I mean, we're not in kindergarten anymore. We're not in grade school anymore. We're supposed to be, we, we shouldn't be milk suckers on the word of God. We should be meat and potato eaters by this time. Be aware how the enemy wants to use you against each other. You know how a little kid likes to divide and conquer by pitting the parents against each other? They can't get their way with mom, so they go to dad. That's sort of the same way that's happening in the body of Christ, in a sense. The enemy can't get us from outside means like he used to, so he's getting us from the inside. He's making us attack each other. And there was this one, I can't remember who quoted this, but I heard it said by a person that was turned off from Christianity, uh, if I remember the quote correctly, something that the army of God, you know, the Christian army is the only army that shoots their own wounded. They're the only army that kills off their own wounded. And sadly, that's true. We can do better. We can change. So, mercy and compassion. We need to have mercy and compassion when some of us get caught back up in our old sins and our old habits. Like somebody who relapses. Like the example I gave of the woman caught in the act of adultery. (sighs) Satan would like nothing more than to see this place shut down. He would like nothing more than to see each and every one of us disband and never darken the door of a church or synagogue ever again. He would love for each one of us to go back to our old ways and our old lifestyle. He'd be tickled to death with that. That would be a group of believers he no longer has to worry about in this spiritual warfare. But we're too smart for that. We're too mature for that. We've got to recognize what's happening in our midst. Because whenever Satan attacks in this way, it means that a breakthrough is about to happen. Somebody's about to get saved. Somebody's about to get delivered. Or a miracle is about to happen and he wants to shut that down. I'm not saying that Satan knows the future, but I'm saying that he knows human nature and he knows the spiritual workings enough, he can predict what's going to happen. And he's uh, having a preemptive attack to stop what he thinks is going to happen, which will likely happen if he doesn't intervene. Paul said, We are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. We need to know our enemy and what he does so we can be aware when it's happening in front of our eyes, we can put a stop to it immediately. Not only that, but Paul said, it's no wonder Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. So he can come in our midst and, 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 and bring about a scenario where we think we're helping somebody out and we think we're doing good when we're actually slandering somebody and spreading gossip and rumors and ruining somebody's reputation and ruining somebody's life. A careless, uninformed, unsubstantiated word can destroy somebody's life. Especially if somebody comes from a horrid past. Maybe a horrid past where they were forced to do things that they didn't want to do. But in order to survive or not die or not be tortured or to save somebody else, they had to do something they didn't want to do. We've got to take those things into consideration because that really happens. i got a friend, Thomas Dunn. He, uh, uh, he has a ministry called Through the Black. It's on Rumble. Also, uh, Really Dark News. And he, acti- he is actively involved in helping people get out of satanic ritual abuse. And many of them were forced to do things that they didn't want to do, but their life was at stake or somebody's life that they loved was, was at stake. And yet, if word got out that they did certain things, it would destroy that person. Especially if the person, if people believed it and didn't know that they were repentant and changed and delivered. We've got to understand where people are coming from, put ourselves in their shoes. Just think of the worst thing that has happened in your life that you would hate for somebody else to know. And you would hate for that to get out because you know. That people will look at you differently or think of you differently. You got that locked in your head? Because I'm sure we all have something like that. So next time something like that comes out about somebody else, you love them and give them the benefit of the doubt. Our job is to restore them, to deliver them, not to condemn them, not to shame them. They've already lived a life of condemnation and shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if they're saved they're redeemed they're delivered they're getting help from their for their past and their situation we have no right to throw them under the bus or excommunicate them if something about them comes out that may shock us i mean a lot of us like aaron his life's been an open book i can't think of anything that he's hid and he's done some pretty bad stuff but i know all of us aren't at that level to where we feel comfortable enough because we're we we've We know human nature. We're just afraid that somebody's going to reject us, and we can't deal with that anymore. So yeah, we've got to love each other. We've got to have mercy and compassion on each other. Be Christ-like to one another. Because again, the goal is restoration and healing, not condemnation and shunning and excommunication, throwing the person under the bus. And let, let's also be loving enough and wise enough when one of us are starting to say something maybe we shouldn't say, that we'll be brave enough to stop the other person and say, hey, brother, sister, I don't think we should be talking about that. Or brother and sister, we don't know, so we shouldn't say anything. We should wait until we find out more. And we need to, I, I give you permission to do that to me. And we need to give each other permission to do that with each other. And it's not like we're trying to sass each other or shut each other down. We're just, we want to be safe. We want to, we've got to protect each other. We are all we have. We have no loyalty or faithful people in the world that's going to have our back. There's nothing to go back to. There's nothing back in Moab. That's why Ruth went with Naomi. There's nothing back there. And if we can't have each other's back, don't expect somebody in the world to have your back. We've got to be different from the world. And we've got to have each other's back. And so if any of us are caught talking about something we have no business talking about or something we don't know about or something that hasn't been dealt with by the proper authorities, then we need to shut each other down and say, look, we're, we're not going pr- we're, we're to talk about that. Let's change the subject. Let's just pray for that person in private. Pray for the situation in private because we don't know. And leave it at that. Because Harvest House and Root of Yeshua, we're not about gossip. We're not about titillating stuff. We are about the Word of God. We are about living Messiah-like. We're about loving each other and building each other up. Loving each other and accepting each other. No matter who we are, what we've been through, what we've done. We're about helping each other crucify ourselves. So that that person we were in the past stays dead. Heavenly Father Man everything that I've just said tonight, I don't even know how to formulate or put into a prayer I just got to lift it up to you and say Do it daddy (laughs) Because I don't I don't I don't even know I Just know that I'm a fallen human being prone to have loose lips that sink ships I'm prone to use my tongue like a sword instead of a scalpel like a chainsaw instead of a pocket knife. I have that propensity of the fallen nature and flesh to want to believe a train wreck. We all do, whether we want to admit it or not. So God change us and transform us from the inside out to be the Christ-like, godly people we need to be. Nobody's gonna to want to join the body of Christ if we're just like the world Nobody's gonna to want to be a part of us if we shoot off our own wounded and throw each other under the bus when we hear some sort of scandalous rumor about the other They're like hey, I, I get that in the world. I don't need that here Lord help us to be different and we, we cannot be different without the help and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit So help us to get into your word. Help us to have a personal relationship with you, O Lord, through Messiah Yeshua. And let the Holy Spirit take control of our actions. Help us to daily, habitually crucify the flesh. Daily, habitually keep each other accountable and hold each other to a higher standard. To lovingly shut each other down when we're starting to step over the line. Because we've got to show and prove that we are different. Lord, I pray and I ask these things by the mighty name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.